the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. My name is Mike Lee. I'm the Director of Local Ministries at 104.1 The Fish, 93.1 El Rey, True Talk 800, and also 93.9 KPDQ with some great news as Surin is coming to 93.9 KPDQ. And our very special guest today is Surin herself. So welcome, Surin. How are you today? I'm doing well, Mike. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you back. Earlier, we had spoken when you were speaking at the Pearls of Hope conference at Western Seminary. Surin is also a professor at New Hope Christian College in Eugene. She is the author of The Women in Jesus' Life. Surin is the co-leader of Oregon's Christian Women in Media Association, and she's also a television host on the His Word Broadcasting Network. And Surin Backer, what I love about you is you are the reluctant host. Can you tell us how you fell into television in the first place? Well, um, there's a pretty long backstory, so I'll, I'll shorten it as much as possible. But I had been um, experiencing an amazing personal reawakening with the Lord for several years. And during those years, I was just um, hungry for more learning. I would go to conferences, and I would go um, looking for specialized training and more in-depth Bible teaching. And in these places, people would just kind of randomly stop me, or I would go up for prayer, and um, almost every single time somebody was praying for me or stopping me, they would say, God has media for you. Um, he's opening the doors of media. And, you know, I live in Eugene, Oregon, so I, I just thought, well, maybe that's like 10, 20 years down the road uh, when I'm older and we've moved, the kids are out of the house. I don't know. But I just held it really lightly. The first couple of times, I kind of laughed, and I didn't take it seriously. But when you hear it like six or seven times, you just kind of go, okay, maybe there is something to this, and it's something I need to um, just, just kind of hold. So um, to make a long story short, I went to a retreat where a woman was praying for me, and she basically said, um, in the next couple of days, the Lord's going to do something amazing with your teaching gift in your life. And I just kind of thought, you know, that's a pretty short time limit here. She's actually putting a deadline. She said the next couple of days. So that was Sunday, and we came home. Um, and on Monday, I got a call from my dear friend, Annette Trusty, who is um, in charge of uh, Audacious Consulting, that is, um, who kind of helped me with all the media stuff and all the other stuff that I do. Well, she called, and she said, um, you better be sitting down, but somebody is offering you... Um, TV slot as much as you want, once a week, once a day, one hour, half hour, whatever it is you want for free. They will edit, they will promote, they will PR it, they will um, tape it. They just want quality Bible teachers, and you kind of came up on their radar, and they're wanting you. And it just knocked me off my feet, and I, I did have to sit down, and I said, you're kidding me. Um, this is so sudden, and it, it just 
you know, it was right in front of me. And, and that's how the Lord really works, is when changes happen in our lives, it happens in a moment, right? It's a suddenly. One moment you're not married, and the next moment you are. One moment you're a college kid, and the next moment you're a graduate. Well, that's kind of what happened. One moment I was just kind of a, a professor and um, a Bible teacher on the side, and the next moment I was in TV. So we got the ball rolling with that, and then I had a little bit of radio experience working with a different women's ministry. And then when I came on your show um, to promote Pearls of Hope, I, I really don't even remember how the conversation got started, but I had an invitation to be a radio host from a different uh, radio network company a couple of years back, and I think I mentioned that to you. And uh, that got the ball rolling, and uh, you thought that this would be a great fit. I prayed about it and called you back about six weeks later, um, and then this whole deal came through. And then in the last couple of days, what the Lord has done is the original network, uh, Wilkins Broadcast uh, Network, that had offered me to be on their show, on their, I don't know what you call it, um, programming. They had offered me a time slot, uh, offered it to me again at fraction of the cost at the original price and um, opened up a little more market, I think. So... By the end of February, I'll be in 11 different states on five different radio stations. This from the reluctant radio host who thought people were crazy when they came up to her and, and said, oh, by the way, the Lord put something on my heart and you're going to be in media. So how serious <laughs> were you taking these people at the time? Well, like I said, in the beginning, I really laughed it off and I just thought, I don't know what these people are drinking, but, you know... Um, they're praying, and they must think I fit a certain mold, and I just kind of laughed it off. I really didn't take it seriously until little by little these doors began to open, and um, Annette is holding up a hand, and she's saying, no, you're going to be on six radio stations. So I'm going to be on six radio stations um, in 11 different states. So, um, yeah, in the beginning, I didn't take it seriously. I It confused and baffled me more than anything. But again, when, I, when you share it six or seven times in a year from different people, people from Texas, people from California, people from Washington, people who don't know each other, you know, and people from Oregon, and they're all saying pretty much the same thing, it kind of got my attention like, Lord, are you really trying to tell me something here? So I am really grateful that he had the grace to prepare me, because if these opportunities had come without any preparation, I would just have said an automatic no and walked away. Like, my dreams, my hopes, my desires, it was never in the media, never a desire to be a radio show host or a TV um, show host uh, teaching the Word. My desire and hope was just to teach the Word of God, just to equip the saints the best that I can, small groups, big groups, it didn't matter to me. If I have five people in front of me hungry for the Word of God, I teach the same way as if I'm teaching in front of 500 people, because I'm just passionate about who the Lord is and what He's done in my life, and uh, my life is such a story of huge redemption that I want people to know that Lord, you know, the, the Jesus who saves and redeems. So um, I am a reluctant and a very scared woman. Nevertheless, he's called me, and he is opening these doors that I did not ask for, but he prepared me. And I remember one person who prayed for me specifically said, when these opportunities come, you're not going to want to go through. 
And I was thinking, you bet your buns I don't want to go through. Are you kidding me? I don't want to be on radio. I don't want to be on TV. If you think about it, the way that our world is, um, when you have something recorded, people can cut and slice whatever they want and create a whole different message than what you had intended. And I've seen that happen over and over again to really well-known pastors and preachers and teachers. And I really hate that part of being in media, where things that you never meant to say are taken out of context or things are strung together from different teachings, different times, and it makes you sound like an idiot or completely heretical, and that's never been your intent. So I've never been one who wanted to be recorded. So, um, again, I'm just really grateful the Lord prepared me through all the, I guess, prophetic prayers, I would call them, you know, uh, and I am still reluctant, but I'm going through because I believe this is the Lord. When you and I had a conversation about this uh, potential, the possibility of this show, I came home and I told the Lord, I'm going to take this to my husband and my family. I'm going to take this to, to the board. My, I, my ministry has a board. I'm going to take this to my intercessory prayer group with over 12 women there. And I said, Lord, if even one person says no, I'm going to take that as confirmation that this is not the right time. I just need one person to say no. And I was kind of hoping for that one person, really. Uh, and I take it to my family, I take it to my board, and I take it to my intercessory prayer group. And every single person after prayer felt a resounding yes, that this is the right time, this is the right opportunity. Opportunity. So um, here I am. So biblically, you're, you're seeking good counsel from others so that you're not doing things strictly on an emotional basis or on the word of one person's alleged prophetic word. This has gone over a period of time in your life, hasn't it? Yeah. When I look back, this has been brewing for about five years of my life. When these first prophetic words started to come out, it was about five years ago. And uh, about two years ago, these words were really ramping up. Like, I went to one conference where this young, beautiful um, African-American girl, just gorgeous. I just thought, wow, you're just beautiful. She just uh, garnered by attention. She, we met, our eyes met, and then she just kind of came running over to me, and she goes, are you a woman on TV? Have I seen you on TV? And I said, um, no, I don't think so. But that was the week my TV show was actually launching. <laughs> and she said, I don't know why, but I see you on TV. And not only TV, I see you all over media. I think God has that prepared for you. And that was literally the week that our first TV show was launching. It was just like confirmation of the Lord. Um, so every opportunity I, I've had, even with the TV ministry, I've taken it to my prayer group. I've taken it to my husband, my family, my children. So I feel like everybody's on board because if one person's having a check in their spirit, I need to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the people I, I trust. They're my covenantal partners, people who support me. So um, that was my deal with the Lord. Lord, if one person says, I don't think this is the right time and there's hesitancy, I'm going to wait. Because if this is you, the opportunity will come back. And if it's not you, then I should not walk through anyway. Surin is coming to a radio near you, 93.9 KPDQ. If you'd like to contact Surin, check out her website, surinbacker.com, or send her an email at surinbacker at gmail.com. That's spelled S-O-O-R-I-N-B-A-C-K-E-R at gmail.com.
Surin is coming to 93.9 KPDQ. It's difficult for us to hear from God, those of us who have been believers for a short period of time, or those of us who's grown up in, in a strong faith from youth. Are there certain things that you do in your everyday life, Surin, that put you in a better position to hear from the Lord? Because sometimes it's just so incredibly easy to get distracted by the things of this world, even by allegedly good things or Christianese things or church activities. How strong do you fight to hear the Word of God as his daughter? Well, you know, I was born a pastor's daughter, so I've never known life without church. I served in ministry and youth leadership from the time I was like 13, 14 years of age. We would take turns uh, teaching the Word of God together, and uh, I went to a private Christian college where I majored in psychology and minors in religion. I went to Fuller Theological Seminary for a PhD in psychology. And the great thing about Fuller um, is that you have to have a master's in theology in order to receive a PhD in psychology. And that's what drew me. That was the only school I even applied to, the grad program, because I wanted to invest in knowing the Word of God to understand human beings. What's the point of just setting the image if you don't know who you're made in the image of, right? But to know the Creator first is is the most important thing. So uh, I was very drawn to Fuller because of that. You know, and so all that to say, I have a lot of education. Uh, I didn't get my PhD. Let me just make that clear. Uh, I did finish my five years of clinical training and all my coursework, but I just kept having kids. <laughs> and so um, when I was pregnant with my second child, my mother passed away when I was eight months pregnant with my daughter. And at that point, I had this real uh, awakening of, do I pursue my own dreams and hopes of getting a PhD at the expense of raising my children? What will I regret if I'm looking back on my life, like my mom is doing right now? And I knew that I would not regret staying home with my children and raising them, but I would regret pursuing a degree and missing out on the formative years of their lives. Not saying that's the right choice for everybody, but I felt very much led to forego the dissertation process and the internship process and not have a PhD behind my name, but take what I've learned in the clinical trainings that I've had and all the coursework I've had and become a good mom. So um, I stayed home for that and um, eventually got back into leadership, leading women, leading Bible studies. But you know what I didn't do in all those years? I didn't have my private time with the Lord on a consistent basis. I knew how to study theology. I knew how to study in preparation to lead out Bible studies and preach. I knew how to pray in groups and and go to God and request things. But about 39 years of age, at about 39 years of age, I really hit a crisis point. And I realized um, I'm playing religion. I, I, I don't know God. I don't know Him personally. And the God that I know... Um, is angry. I'm always trying to satisfy him. I'm always trying to please him in some way. Um, I never feel like I measure up. And I'm always living under this cloud of condemnation and guilt and shame. And at just at 39, I just broke. And I went before the Lord and I said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. If you're this hard to please and you're this small-minded, I don't want to serve you. But if this picture that has been given to me is not you, I want to know a different you. And if that's not you, you've got to show it to me. So um, 
I made a conscious decision to pretty much junk everything I thought I knew about the Lord, all the theology, all the doctrine, um, all the principles, and all moral living, all of that. And I went before the Lord, and I said, show me who you are. And basically, the deal was, in order for him to show me who he is, I had to give him time. I had to give him the opportunity to do that. And I hadn't done that before on a consistent basis. So every morning after my kids went off to school, I laid out my day, and it was my time for the Lord. Four, five, six hours, however long it was. Every day I said, I need to know you. I need to start square one, but I'm going to give you this time. So I would open up the Word of God, and I would spend time in prayer. I would play worship music, and um, my times of prayer changed. It was no longer just supplication and intercession. It was working things out. It was crying out to Him for things I didn't understand. It was getting really genuine and honest and real about my feelings. I didn't necessarily... um, get angry and, and curse him out or swear at him, but I didn't play the religious game of, oh, God, thou art worthy, <laughs> you are so awesome and glorious. You know, I mean, those words came out, but only when my heart was genuinely in that um, praise and that worship. Mm-hmm. But usually it was, I don't understand why this happened in my life. I didn't allow that to happen. And I, I can't figure out how um, to get over this hurt and this pain. And why did this abuse happen in my life, Lord? And why did um, these things happen, that I, these betrayals, these rejections? Did I ask for it? Was it my fault? So I just started working out the real issues of my life with the things that hurt, things I didn't understand, uh, things that I couldn't get over. And, you know, um, he didn't answer the why in the way that I expected, but he met me. He met me in that place. I felt his presence, and he began to speak to me about who he is. And I began to understand his language. You know how a baby is born? They're not born speaking the language of their parents, but they learn the language of their parents because they're constantly exposed to the same words, the same sounds. That's kind of what started happening to me. I started understanding God's language. And it wasn't always verbal, and it wasn't always words, but the Lord would speak in pictures, impressions, feelings, imaginations. Um, they would always have to line with the Word of God. Obviously, that's true. But He began to teach me His language. And more often than not, His language for me came in pictures, in imagery, and in impressions of the heart. And sometimes He would speak. He would speak verbally, or He would speak in words in my heart, um, or when I was writing, but he began to teach me his language. So to say that we hear from God um, without having that personal connection with him, kind of dangerous. But to have that personal connection with him every day and seek him every day and purify ourselves, I'm sorry, not purify ourselves, but allow the Lord to purify us in that time, to sanctify us. Um, to repent of our sins, I think that really uh, is important and significant in cleansing that channel, if, if that I can use that, to hear from Him. 
I'm giving you a really long answer to a short question. I hope that's okay. Oh, absolutely. It, well, it's a good answer, and it's a deep one. I forget who the preacher was, but I was listening to one of our radio ministries earlier this week, and he really kind of struck me because I probably went through my early 20s through my late 20s with an ongoing expression, which is, I'm praying for God's direction. I'm praying for God to direct me, to give me a clue, give me a path. I'd pay money for God to put a neon sign in the sky with an arrow pointing me where (laughs) I should go. Yeah. And what this preacher had said was, if you're seeking direction from God and yet you're not spending time in his word or in prayer, you really don't want direction. So it seems like you turned everything off when your kids went to school and you didn't just uh, get your toes wet in the Lord. You dove straight in and gave him that attention and that time. And you turned off things and actually did listen for his still small voice. Do you have any good words of encouragement for those of us who might feel a little distance from God? Because we go through waves. We don't always feel like we're hitting a grand slam spiritually. We don't always feel like we've got that direct line to the Lord and that we're just in tune with him. Do you have any good suggestions from your experience? Well, you know, I know that most people don't have the luxury of time like I did to have four to six hours alone. But I was at a point in my life where I had lost pretty much everything except for my nuclear family, my husband and my children. I didn't have friends. I really didn't have community. And I had become a pew warmer at the church. Um, So for three years of my life, I just spent hours a day in the Lord, with the Lord. And I thought, you know, if I never have friends again, I'm good. Because I found, I found what I've been longing for. I found the unconditional love I've been, I've been seeking all my life. I'm good. This is exactly where I should be. And the Lord began to open doors of opportunity. And it just, in crazy ways, you know, three years into this, into this um, time period. So I just want to say I understand that my story is very unique. And I had the luxury of time most people do not have. But when I hear people say, I'm busy... I can't carve out an hour for the Lord. I have to challenge that. I'm not saying it has to be first thing in the morning because some of us are not warning people. Well, we have little children to, you know, get ready for school or little children to tend to. But we can all find half an hour to an hour in the day. I understand that at the end of the day, we're tired. I mean, I'm a mom of four children. I raised four children myself. I understand that. But we can all find half hour to an hour of time. We're relaxing, we're not doing anything, or we're vegging in front of the TV, or we're just in the midst of busy work. And it may be that for a house mom, you know, who's just busy and inundated with housework, you have to forego some of the chores that seem so essential. Maybe the bathroom can wait another day to get scrubbed. Maybe the laundry gets washed, but it doesn't get folded. You know, I mean, we can't find the trade-off. But every single one of us, by the grace of God, has been given a measure of time where we can seek Him. Surin is coming to a radio near you, 93.9 KPDQ. If you'd like to contact Surin, check out her website, surinbacker.com, or send her an email at surinbacker at gmail.com. That's spelled S-O-O-R-I-N-B-A-C-K-E-R at gmail.com. Thanks again, Suren, for joining us today. 
Surin is coming to 93.9 KPDQ. The Lord builds that into our day. He gives us that grace where we have, you know, even if it's 20 minutes, that 20-minute time period where we can choose Him. So even if the Lord gives us that grace of time, it is up to us to choose it. Mm. Because a relationship is never, ever, ever built on force. It's never built on oppression. It's never built on control. A relationship is always built on two parties choosing to be in a relationship. So if I want to be in a relationship with the Lord, I have to choose that. I have to choose that every day, just like I have to choose every day to be a good wife to my husband, to be faithful, to do the things that a good wife does. So if I choose to be in a relationship with God, I have to choose that every day. That means I give Him the priority of time. That means that when I feel like vegging in front of the TV, or I feel like surfing the Internet, or I feel like maybe calling a friend, you know, and and processing my uh, issues with my friend, instead of doing that, I choose to take that 20, 30-minute window and go before Him. We can all do that. So I don't accept that reason that we're too busy. I don't. I think the Lord has given us the grace of that time in every single life and every single day. We just have to choose it. And how do we get our heart in that spot? I really got convicted probably toward my late 20s because I never had a problem waking up at 6 o'clock on a Saturday morning if I was driving off to a volleyball tournament. But God helped me trying to wake up in the morning to sit down with my Bible before I get up and leave for work. Do you think it's, um, I, do you think it's a, I, an indication of where your heart is? Do you believe that God sees us through seasons where we're more adamant about spending time with him, and at other times we do feel a little more distance, but he'll honor our efforts despite that? You know, I think it really starts out with his business and his heart. It really starts out with the Lord inviting us to himself. So... Um, even though I said all that about carving out time for him, that is prefaced on a foundational, basic understanding that his goodness drew us to him, that we heard the invitation. So I think if people are feeling that condemnation, if if there's a sense of guilt and shame because we grew up in the church, if hearing what I said about carving out time for him brings us to a place of guilt and shame, then um, I say jump what I said, because that's not the Lord. He never speaks to us speaks to us in guilt and shame. He speaks to us through conviction. But I think it really has to start out with hearing that invitation, sensing that invitation, knowing that that door is open for us. And that invitation always comes through goodness. The goodness of the Lord, the love of the Lord, the previous grace of the Lord. So it's kinda of like, you know, if somebody's inviting you a party and they say, well, this party is really a fundraiser, and it's really um, requiring you to bring your own centerpiece and your own food. It's not like a fun party we want to go to, you know what I mean? But we'll go out of obligation because we committed or um, somebody asked us to be a part of it. So we'll go out of obligation, but there isn't really an excitement in going for the most of us mm-hmm. to a party like that. But if we get an invitation in the mail that says, hey, we just want to bless you and love on you. It's a free banquet, a free um, buffet, and it's the best food that you can imagine, and we have this entertainment set up for you. Then we want to go. We get excited. We want to dress up. So I just want to say, the Lord, when He invites us into a relationship, it's, it's the number two invitation. It's where He says, hey, come, dine, 
peace. It's a free meal. My goodness is here. My presence is here. My unconditional love is here. And I want to give you the best that life has to offer because that's who I am. When we feel that invitation, saying yes to that time with the Lord is easy. It's so easy because we get excited about that. But oftentimes I think Christians have made God's invitation the number one invitation. The first part that I talked about where, hey, come and perform and serve God, do good things for Him, you know, make good moral choices. And now we know it's the right thing to do. We want to do that. But it's not necessarily a joyous thing that we anticipate. But that's not the invitation the Lord gives us. I want to make that very clear. It is a number two invitation. It's out of the fullness and the overflow of being so inundated with His goodness and His love that we can go out and serve, and we can say yes to time alone with Him. Because who doesn't want to spend time with a person who does that for us? You know, who gives the best blessing possible, the greatest joy of our lives. Who doesn't want that? Everybody wants that. So we need to make the invitation of the Lord what it really is, instead of a religious exercise. So the time alone with the Lord is a time where I get filled. I get the best of life, the abundant life, the greatest blessing. My time alone with my children and my husband can't compare. As much as I love them, and I have a wonderful family, can't compare to the time I have with the Lord. So when did that change for you? Surin Baker, you mentioned growing up in the church, but it wasn't always such a, a strong, smooth relationship between you and the Lord, was it? No, it really changed when, um, at the age of 39, I had a breakdown. Just I'd been mentally ill for a while, I think. I look back, and, and I was depressed. I was suicidal. Um, I, I had a desire for death. I had a death wish. And all while I was going to church, all while I was sending my children to private school, um, and at the age of 39, I was really challenged at a conference. And this is why I love conferences so much. But I was challenged at a conference to give, give the Lord, give God, the untouched soil of my heart. And it really challenged me because I realized that um, I had an area of my life I was entrusting the Lord with, and it's because I didn't trust Him. You know, when you come from an, a background of abuse, when you come from a background of uh, being diminished or demeaned or rejected, it's really hard to imagine unconditional love really hard to understand that that exists and that's out there for you. And that's where I was. I was broken. I knew that God was good. I had heard that. I knew He loved me enough to die for me, but I didn't know that He could be good for me in every single moment of my life, in every single instance, that He wanted the best good for me. I, I thought sometimes, hey, abuse was sent to me because the Lord was in it. God wanted me to get hit. He wanted me to get beat up. He wanted this to happen. That's what I thought. Um, I didn't articulate that thought, but that was my emotional reality. Do so you when, believe that when, that was spoken into your life, or was that an assumption you ran with because it helped you get through this period without completely losing it? I think there is a thread of that teaching in the Christian world, and it may not be the intention of the people teaching it, but sometimes it can be easily taken that way. You know, well, God can use it for good. He He purposed your life. He He wrote every day of your life into existence. He knew all that would happen and all that would um, be worked in your life, and He's going to use this for good. And um, it, it almost 
to me, it was like he wrote this into your life. He factored in your abuse. He wanted you to be abused so that you can have this fruitfulness, so that you can understand this. This is your suffering, your persecution, and trial, and this is sharing in God's persecution and suffering and trial. He wanted that for you. So there, I think sometimes is, um, I think there's a misunderstanding in the listeners, and sometimes I think this is what the teachers teach. Uh, and so there is this misunderstanding of the will of God and the sovereignty of God, predestination, free will, um, and there is a misunderstanding of how well, you know, the Lord uses everything for good in such a brilliant way. It is easy to misunderstand it as, He willed this in my life. He wanted me abused. You know what I mean? Um, so I think there is shades of that teaching in the body of Christ, and we um, have to now actively bring that back into balance of what it means that God has sovereignty, and yet He never authored abuse. Mm. You know, God is God is able to turn everything around for good, and yet He was not willing that you would be hurt and rejected and abandoned. You know, so um, yeah, I I. I I think there is a little bit of that in, in the overall body of Christ that we need to actively teach differently. We need to fight that, absolutely. I can't imagine that the Father God in heaven was throwing a party when he gave up Jesus on the cross. He right. did what he did in his sovereign, perfect will. But you can't tell me that the heart of God liked that or enjoyed it and said, well, Jesus, this is for your own good. Greater things are going to come out of this one of these days. And I think that's exactly how we come across to people. And it's not really intentional a lot of the time. But if you ever find yourself at the funeral of a friend who's lost a fiance or when someone's lost a child or undergoing cancer or losing a house or a career or going through great trials in life, I would encourage you to follow the Word of God, and in the Bible where it says to celebrate with those who celebrate and yet mourn with those who mourn. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, the best thing you could just say is, I'm so sorry. Right. And I love you, and is there anything I can do? But actually mean it. Don't just right. Don't just give your token condolences at the funeral and don't call up or offer to drop off a meal or fill up a tank of gas or something like that. Exactly. Surin is coming to a radio near you, 93.9 KPDQ. If you'd like to contact Surin, check out her website, surinbacker.com, or send her an email at surinbacker at gmail.com. That's spelled S-O-O-R-I-N-B-A-C-K-E-R at gmail.com. Surin is coming to 93.9 KPDQ. So, Surin Backer, were you always so outspoken? No, I wasn't. Um, I, Like I said, I came from a, a background where there was a lot of oppression and fear in the house. And by the time I graduated high school, I'd gone to 13 different schools. And more often than not, when I was a new kid on the block, I was bullied. You know, I had kids beating me up, chasing me around. I think they can smell the abuse on you. I mean, I had really thick glasses, permed hair. It looked like a little pool. I had buck teeth, and I was wearing hand-me-down clothes from people at church. You know, I was—I I literally just walked around like I think with a bullseye. You know, like beat me up, and I won't tell anybody. So um, I, I wasn't always outspoken. I didn't even know I was an extrovert until I was in my thirties. You know, um, but I did have a heart for people who were hurting, and and that led me to study psychology. From the time I was 14 and I took my first 
Introduction to Psychology course, um, something in me just said, you know, it's one thing to deal with a body that's broken, but how do you deal with a heart that's broken? And I think it's because I had a broken heart and I was looking for an answer. And I thought if there is an answer, I want to find it. And when I find it, I want to um, help other people like me who feel rejected and broken and, and abandoned and all that other stuff. I mean, despite the best things that the parents do, they, they give, you know, every parent gives the best that they can. Um, and I had good parents. I, I had godly parents. That's, that's not the thing. It's just they did what they knew to do in the culture that they were in. Um, and circumstances necessitated a lot of moves. So I'm not by any means playing victim and blaming my parents because they were amazing people. The Lord used them in mighty ways. So let's elaborate a little bit on that. For me personally, Surin Backer, it's too easy to remember the things that my parents did that I choose to do differently. But I don't often credit them enough for the things they did very, very well. They raised us uh, in the same home my entire 28 years before I went off and got married. Never had to move. College was set up for, and that doesn't happen for everyone. They were fiscally responsible, almost to a fault in in certain ways. So in in your case, Soren Backer, tell us about your parents and your relationship, and what are some of the most positive Christ-like things that they passed down to you as a mom today? You know, they gave their lives to their ministry, and and they loved doing kingdom work. They loved um, being part of the church. They loved spreading the gospel and sharing the news of who Jesus is, those who've never heard of him. And I think my, my dad, when we were in the East Coast, in our particular denomination, he set, like, the record of how the most baptisms in, in like, several years in, in a row. And we're talking, you know, um, his sphere of influence was immigrants. <laughs> they were all immigrants who only spoke Korean. So he had a very limited pool. Nevertheless, he was out there faithfully sharing the gospel, doing Bible studies, and leading them to the Lord. But their whole lives were about God. Their whole lives were about church and church building. Um, my mom, I mean, gosh, she's still the greatest hero of my life. Uh, the way she loved, the way she um, was willing to change and learn. You know, she never was perfect. She didn't start out perfect, and she didn't end perfect. But all in the midst of that, what I saw was a woman who was willing to learn, who was willing to be adjusted, who was willing to grow, um, who loved and, and was loyal in the way that she knew how to be. You know, were there things that um, they did wrong? Yeah. I mean, both of them grew up in violence. Both of them saw that being the normative in, in a family, in a Korean family. Both of them grew up with, you know, the husband using physical violence to discipline their wives and that being okay. This was what was modeled to them. So I I don't blame them. And and I'm extremely grateful for the blessings in my life that I I was raised in the church. I am so beyond grateful that I've never known life without knowing the name of Jesus. I mean, how do you account for that blessing in your life, you know? So um, that example of just loving, doing the work of God, and loving um, the world to go out and, and risk sharing the gospel. To me, that, that is my greatest legacy. And that, you, you just can't, uh, you can't put a price tag on that. So now that your oldest has flown the coop and gotten married, what words of advice do you have for the young newlyweds? Oh, goodness. Um, I guess the biggest advice is learn to pray together learn to worship the Lord together, 
learned to um, establish his presence in everything that you do in the house together. And everything else will fall into place because he, his presence will guide you, counsel you, heal you. Um, and, you know, my, my son, who he's, he's going to New Hope Christian College, he's taken a couple of my classes, and that was a very fun adventure. You're teaching and, your own son at college. Is that it? I did. <laughs> Are you harder on him? <laughs> I, I coached my daughter in softball before. Are you harder on him almost to prove a point that you're not being soft on him? Um, I've been, but I also had all the students write their names in the back of the paper, uh, every test and every paper, so that I wouldn't know who I was grading. So I wanted to be as impartial and as fair as possible. But he's a good student, and he's at New Hope studying pastoral studies. My daughter-in-law um, is pre-nursing right now, and they just love the Lord together. I mean, I see them, and they both carry their Bibles everywhere they go. You know, she takes it to her work so that when she's on break, she's reading the Bible. She's gotten persecuted for that, actually, for being a foolish girl that still believes in that stuff. But she still opens up the Word, and she still reads her Bible in, in between her breaks. Um, my son takes it to his, his work, you know, and when he has a break, he'll open it up and he'll read. So I see for them, they have their priorities right, and they've been married over a little little over a year now, and they're so happy. I mean, they have issues, sure. They bicker, but they are so happy, and most of the times when they're over, it's like, you know what? Go back to your apartment and hug there. <laughs> just just get off my couch and go home, <laughs> and I just look at them, and, and they're so amazingly happy, and I think, I really think it's not because they're two perfect people or they're so well-matched, they're soulmates. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are factors into that, but they made each other into soulmates because they choose the Lord first. And it's because they love the Lord first, and they seek His counsel first. And um, if that's the one thing that I can tell the newlyweds, you know, um, when you take care of your spiritual alignment with the Lord, you know, it's not that everything's going to be easy, but all other things will click into place in alignment. That's actually not only a good word for your son and your daughter-in-law, but for our audience as well. If you had to give one more word of encouragement or hope to our listeners right now, what would that be, Soren? The biggest word of encouragement I would say is um, God shows no favoritism. The Lord said in His own word over and over again, God is not a respecter of persons. He shows no favoritism. He gives the same access to everybody. He invites everyone into an intimate relationship with Him. But the nature of a relationship is that the more time you spend with someone, the more you know them, the more comfortable you are with them, the more access you have into their heart. And so if we choose to say yes to that invitation, there is no favoritism. What I have now, what the greats in the faith have now that we aspire to, we wish we had, we can have because he gives us the same access. So there is no favoritism. So I would encourage anyone listening, um, I wish I, I knew God like that or Where's the redemptive story in my life? If you're feeling lost or hurt or hopeless, you can start exactly where you are. And he gives you the exact same access to his heart that he gave me, that he gave anyone else that you see and you look up to. And when you say yes to the Lord in that invitation, if you can start out with just five minutes a day, just spending time with him and really connecting to him, do that. But in the midst of that, you will find his goodness. It's a guarantee you will discover his unconditional love for you. 
Thank you so much, Surin Backer, for joining us today. Surin is coming to a radio near you, 93.9 KPDQ. If you'd like to contact Surin, check out her website, surinbacker.com, or send her an email at surinbacker at gmail.com. That's spelled S-O-O-R-I-N-B-A-C-K-E-R at gmail.com. Thanks again, Surin, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Mike. And thank you for listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 